Wow, that was a good response. Nice and hearty. Thank you, Sean, for leading us in praise. So, tonight we will continue in the book of Exodus. We'll be in chapter uh, 33 tonight. Last week, our, uh, our brother John finished up chapter 32. But before we go forth, let us open in a word of prayer. Dear gracious Father God, we just invite your blessing here tonight. I ask, Lord God, that you would become more and I would become less, dear Lord. Father, that it would not be me, Lord God, but your spirit in and through me. Lord God, as I would share, Lord, what you have reminded me of, what you have revealed to me, Lord God, uh, in my personal walk with you, Lord God, and I pray that it would touch hearts and minds tonight, Lord God, as your promise is that your word does not return void, Lord God, so that it would have its good and perfect work done here this evening, dear Lord. So, Father, we thank you once more for bringing us all here, and we commit this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. So, John finished up chapter 32, and uh, some of the, just, a, just a brief summary as he went through his sermon, he, he said that Moses thought of God's reputation as he, as he uh, ministered to the people. He thought of God's promises. He thought of God's holiness. And he thought of the people's restoration. Am I right, sir? Okay. And uh, Moses, he summed it all up at the end. He said, Moses thought, God listened, and the people responded. And that's what went right. The title of his message is What Went Right. Uh, what Went Right. <laughs> that was it. Um, so, so tonight we'll continue with really their response. We'll see the result and, uh, of, of their sin and, and the people's response to God as he speaks to them through Moses and Moses intercedes on their behalf. We remember in, uh, in verse uh, 26 of chapter 32 last week where when Moses came down from the mountain and he was angry that the people were uh, worshiping the golden calf they were dancing as John pointed out and at that point he said who is on the Lord's side right whoever's on the Lord's side uh, come here and even though the the Levites and the remnant stood with God there were still consequences the people would face and endure. And in 32, we read how 3,000 had died by the sword, that the Levites went through the land. And now in chapter 33, the Lord uh, tells them that he won't be with them, that he would not go with them. Even though they had committed a great sin, Israel would still enter the promised land that God had promised their forefathers. But he would not be in their midst, he says. He would not be among them as they went. Chapter 33, again, is a continuation of chapter 32 in Exodus and Israel's journey. Okay, And it's a continuing also of the sanctification of God's people. That their hearts would be turned solely towards God. And John brought that up last week. 
But in chapter 33, we learn that Israel, as well as Moses, desired the presence of God more than the promised land. They desired communion with God more than the abundance and excess that the land had to offer. They had to get there, but kind of sums it up. They desired the communion with God. We should desire communion with God, amen, more than anything else. Yes, in heaven, we have the promise that there will be no more sin, that there will be no more tears, there will be no more pain, there will be no more death. All those are benefits of making God the, God the object of my desire, of our desire. To be in fellowship with him, to be in his presence, that is our hope. But we can enjoy his presence here today as we walk on this earth. Amen? In this life, we have communion, we can have communion with God on our journey to our promised land, can't we? Of course we can. In fact, we are commanded to. We're commanded to by God to be in prayer with Him and be in His Word. And that's what God impressed on my heart as I studied for this, is that my desire, that our desire to have the presence of God here and now would grow, would be more and more. And we've heard it referred to this way as the already but not yet. Right? We get a taste of it now. It's kind of like a practice session, so to speak. So how can I, how can we maintain our communion with God today and for every day that God gives us? Even though they slipped up, just like we do, I want us to, t- to look at Israel tonight in chapter 33 and, uh, as to how their hearts were transformed and realigned with our God perhaps reminding us how to realign or maintain a heart for our Father. In spite, again, of their sinful actions, God's promise for Israel would not be revoked. Amen? But God extended grace and preserved Israel for His sake and for their benefit. So that's why I've titled tonight's sermon, The Grace That Preserves. So join me uh, by standing as we read the text for tonight. It's Exodus 33. We'll read the entire chapter. And the word of God says this. The Lord says to Mo- said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. 
Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each one would stand at his tent door, watch Moses until he had gone up into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let, let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, Please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people in the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes, passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. May God add his blessing to the reading of the word. Please have a seat. So, again, what we see here in the, first, the opening verses, in, actually in verses 1 through 3, uh, the result, or, or uh, the break in the relationship, so to speak, between God uh, and Israel. And we read, we read it in verses 1 and 2. The Word of God says, The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought, out, brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. So we see in this, in this uh, passage here, these first two verses, 
God is sending an angel. Right? An angel, it's a, it's a messenger. We're told it's, it's, it's an ambassador specifically of God to drive out the inhabitants of the land. This was not, I don't believe, the angel of God, the angel of the Lord, it, neither a, a theophany or a, a Christophany, as when the Israelites fled from Egypt, right? They had, in, in Exodus 13, 21, we read, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they may travel by day and by night. And I believe verse 3 confirms that it probably wasn't the angel of the Lord. Verse 3 says, Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I, God speaking, I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. God says, I will not go up among you. I will not be in your midst. I will not be with you. So, you know, God's not going to be with them. And we pray that a lot. Lord, please be with so-and-so. Lord, please be with me. But what exactly would that mean? Well, this would be an idea that they had based... Moses was the author of Genesis. So I saw some verses in Genesis where that word is used. So we read in Genesis 21.20 about Ishmael, and God was with the boy, and he grew up, he lived in the wilderness, and became an expert with the bow. Then he speaks to Isaac in Genesis 26.3, Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you, and will bless you, for to you and to your offspring I will give these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. And in Genesis 31.3, Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers, and to your kindred, and I will be with you. And finally, Genesis thirty-nine twenty-three. the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge, because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made to succeed. For God to be with someone, I believe, uh, what's meant is that God would be guiding, God would be protecting, God would be providing, God would be taking care of them. And I, I believe that is what Israel feared the most, is that God's been with, with them up until now, and now he's saying, I will not be with you. I will not be among you. God would not be with them in their midst because they, he says they were an obstinate people. And we learned last week from, from John, it's because their hearts were not toward the Lord. So much so that he would destroy them, he says. God said in verse 1 that he would keep the promise he had made with their fathers. But Israel's sin of stubbornness all right, was that their hearts, again, were not towards the Lord. But God shows mercy, really, by his separation. If he's saying, I'm not going to go with you. right? Otherwise, he'd have to judge them, he says. If, it, if, if I, it's like God literally said, if I would be in your midst among you, well, it does say it in the, word, in the word, if I would be in your midst among you for a single moment, it says, I would have to consume you. That literally means make you disappear. 
was completely annihilated. My sin separates me from God's blessing. But Christ's work protects me, still protects me from God's wrath. Amen? Amen. You see, in spite of their sin, Israel would still advance to the land, promise them a land flowing with milk and honey. Israel's disobedience prevented God's fellowship and communion with them, but it did not void his covenant. I will not be with you as I was before. And my thoughts went to the first humans, the first couple, right? Adam and Eve, right? They were, God drove them out of the garden. He would not be with them as they, he was before because of their sin. In spite of their sin, God's grace still reigns with mercy because we have a promise-keeping God. Amen? Just as God keeps a covenant with Israel, God keeps his covenant with us. We have a promise-keeping God. He is unchangeable or immutable. Malachi 3.6, we read, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Numbers 23.19, we read, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. He, has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? If God were to change, then he would cease being perfect and just. Amen? He would cease being God. Deuteronomy 32.4, we read the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. We have a perfect father. Perfection isn't an attribute that God would possess. For he is the embodiment of those attributes, if I could say it that way. God is every attribute that we read, right? We read in 1 John 4.16, So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So that would take us to the, the love chapter, right? 1 Corinthians 13.4, Love is patient. Again, we replace that word with God. God is all of those things. God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy or boast. God is not arrogant. God is not rude. God does not insist on its own way. God is not irritable or resentful. God does not rejoice wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. God bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. God never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for the knowledge, it will pass away. We have a promise-keeping Father. And in spite of our slip-ups, in spite of the times that we sin, okay, and we, we interrupt that fellowship with God, right? it doesn't change the fact that we are His adopted children and that we will be with Him one day in heaven. Amen? Amen. God keeps His covenant for His sake. Again, not because He's prideful and going the type of person, oh, I'm just going to stick to my guns, I'm going to do this because that's what I said. How many of us have ever done something like that? Even though it, it could be a train wreck, oh, I'm just going to stick to this and do it. That's, that's not why he does it. That's not why God does it. It's not a contract we have with God. If you remember, a contract is what says what you would do for me. 
It's a covenant. And the covenant says what I would do for you, what I'm going to do for you. And the same is true for us, isn't it? With the new covenant, God will not renege on His promises. A passage I like in John 10, 29, right? My Father who has given them to me, Jesus said, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. We belong to Jesus and the new covenant promise. Amen? This, when, when, when you first hear this maybe, where God says to Israel, okay, I'm not going to be with you, but you're going you're to go to the promised land anyway. This might seem in our flesh like a good plan. Right? This might seem like a, like a good deal. Like, I don't have to do anything, but I'm still going to get the prize. I'm still, I'm still going to get the prize. Even though I sinned, even though I did something wrong, I'm still going to go to the promised land. I like how Philip Ryken says it in his commentary on Exodus. He says, most people want God to help them overcome whatever obstacles they are facing in life. And they want to reach a promised land. But they are not all that interested and having a personal relationship with the living God. And I know I'm preaching to the choir on that. I, I, I'm fairly certain that none of you here would look at God in that sense. But I'm sure we could all want God a little bit more. We could all want to delight in Him just a little bit more today. As we continue, we begin to see that Israel would not want God's blessing apart from His presence, apart from communion with Him. So in the first three verses, we see the result that God said He will not be with them. And we also, again, the, the result mentioned in chapter 32, that 3,000 fell by the sword. And in verses 4 through 11, we'll see Israel's response. And they respond with what I believe is repentance. Verses 4 through 6, When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up with you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Israel receives this word from God, it says, as disastrous. When they hear that God would not be with them, it's, it just took the wind out of them. It just took the wind. They were crushed in their spirit. And gladly, their response at that point contrasted their idolatrous worship earlier in chapter 32. God... It's, it, 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 it's, it's clear that the, 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 the people longed for a relationship with their God because what was their action? It says they mourned. It says they removed their ornaments as God had instructed them, had commanded them. Again, God communicated his displeasure with Israel and by them responding the way they did says that he got his point across. Again, God, God refers to them as a stiff-necked people four times between chapters 32 and 34. And again, the, the, the obstinance, the stubbornness of really not submitting to God, not looking to the Lord, but to other things. 
God had been with them as a cloud, we know, and a pillar of fire. That's, I think, how Israel would view that. But now, will will he be with us? And now, as they begin to repent, right? Again, the disastrous word, they mourned, they they removed their ornaments, right? It says in verse 6 that they stripped themselves of their ornaments. I believe we see what is a genuine sign of repentance, right? A turning away. As Paul would say, it's a, it was a putting off, literally a putting off. The gold that they used uh, to, to make an idol and worship and turn away from God, now then they've removed the gold uh, as a sign of mourning and turning back to God. And we all know that eventually that gold, at least what was, uh, whatever was left, the gold would be used for the tabernacle, as we'll see later in, in chapter 35 when that's done. Now, in, in, verse, in verse 7, we read, Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside of the camp. Now this tent was not the tabernacle, it was not a substitute, and it simply was, I believe, a, a, we can call it a point of communication between God and Moses. It was also where the people would beseech Moses to inquire God on their behalf. And again, it was outside the camp. He was instructed to put it far off, right? Pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, as a reminder now of the distance that has resulted of their sin between God and His people. So, I believe Israel was aware of the seriousness, was becoming aware of the seriousness of their sin. Um, and, and, And by God doing so, by moving that tent outside the camp purposefully, It resulted in Israel, really, what they had to do is now they had to go to that tent. They had to go walk out to that tent. And they realized, when they see this tent going up, they realized, I believe, and admitted that they had a dependence on God, that they could do nothing in and of themselves. And while that tent is far off, I mean, if you just think about it, a person now would have to walk to that tent that was far off. And, and as they walked, everyone in the camp would see you. And it would be a testimony, really, as you go to that tent, asking Moses to pray for you. Okay, It would be a testimony now of, of your submission to God, of their commitment now to the Lord. They were making, I believe, a public admission, an exhibit of their dependency on God. And how much... Do we do that? We, we, talk, we talk about, we heard it a lot in the last couple of weeks, today, in Sunday school, and, and, and from the pulpit today, from Mike, uh, really that we live out God's word, even in prayer. That, that, that we not just have a knowledge that would puff up, but that we would apply the word to our lives, that we would exhibit God's mercy, God's grace, God's goodness, God's truth. And, and thereby showing our surrender and our dependency 
on him. And the people who watched, they may have had a renewed uh, respect uh, for Moses. In 32 uh, verse 1, they said to Aaron, who knows what happened to that Moses? Let's make some gods to worship. So maybe now they, they saw him more as, as their intercessor for God. They, maybe they have more respect for him as opposed to worshiping him, but in his proper role. In verses 8 and 9, it says, Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. Can you imagine that? They're probably, oh, there he goes. There he goes. Oh, he, oh, he went in. It says when, then it says, when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. At that point, God made his presence visible to the people in the form of that cloud that they were familiar with. But again, he's not with them. He's standing outside the tent. What could these people have been thinking? What could have been going through their mind? We just went through those chapters in Exodus. Um, Moses receiving the instruction on how to build the temple, the instruction on how to worship in the temple. God just finished giving them all these instructions, and now he's not going to be with them? That's why it, 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 they viewed it as a disastrous word. And that was God's last words to them. Oh, there he is talking to Moses. But his last words to us was, I'm not going to be with them. And they would watch. Verse 10 and 11. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Even though Israel is not in God's good graces right now, they chose to worship God. Every time God would meet with Moses, they chose outside their tent to worship God. They, they, probably, they were praying, they were worshiping the Lord. Now we see their desire, their heart is in a right place. In verse 11, we're told Moses was having conversation with God face-to-face or mouth-to-mouth. Again, we know that's not literally, but this was an intimate, personal encounter. We're told as a, as a friend speaks to a friend. It meant that there was an exchange of words between them. And I can only imagine the Israelites, how could they not yearn for that? How could they not want that? How could we not want that? We can can speak to God now in prayer. We can hear Him speak to us through His Word. Again, it's the already but not yet. One day we will see Him. Amen? One day we will praise Him in person, physically. Israel witnessed the communion Moses continued to have with the Lord, perhaps even coveting it. But they would have to wait. 
Again, it, it reminded me, we, we went over this in our men's uh, Bible study of, of, of how the apostles would have seen and heard Jesus praying and how, how that changed Jesus, how Jesus responded to that. And the same thing with Moses, how they would see how the effect of communion with God would have on Moses and wanting that. Amen? The result of the sin was God not being with them. And Israel's response was repentive and a turning back to God, turning their heart to God. In the rest of the chapter, verses 12 to 23, we see Moses acting upon God's favor, upon God's grace. And I think this is a reminder for us, for me, for us, as of the church today, for you and I, that if we have God's favor, we need to be bold. We need to have courage to approach Him and to live out His purpose for our lives. As, as Israel waited for God to decide what to do with them, we're told that in verse 5, literally, Moses acts upon the grace or favor that God has upon him. Moses confidently and personally petitions God. These petitions are in accord with God's will. So God grants Moses what he asks of him. God wants to bless his children when we desire him, when we have a right heart, right? We heard that verse today in Sunday school. Delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I think of it as a parent. A parent doesn't want to disown their child. A parent will always love their child. But when that child is in sin, we don't, we don't withhold our love from them. We don't hold the promise to take care of them. It is our responsibility. We've been entrusted with them. I don't want to minimize God in any way, but my thoughts went again to, to, being, a, to being a father. And even though our, our children may do some things wrong against God's will, that they're disobedient, we don't just... Yeah, we withhold blessing. That's part of correcting them. And, and I think that's what, what, what God has done with Israel. He's just kind of turning them, using us to turn them back to Him. And we try and do the same thing with our children. Right? We withhold it as a part of correction, as a part of making them right. We pray that their desire and that our desire would be more inclined towards the Lord. So as Moses acts upon this favor that God has upon him, uh, we see three things. In verses 12 to 14, we see that he prays for his intercessory role. In verses 15 to 17, we're going to see that he intercedes for Israel. And verses 18 to 23 is his personal prayer. So verses 12 to 14, where he prays for the benefit of his intercessory role. He prays for his role as the intercessor. We should all be playing for the role that God has for us. Amen? If you're a parent, if you're a teacher, if whatever it is that God has purposed you to do in our lives... 
Are we praying for God to have his way with us in those areas each and every day? That he, that we would know him more and become better vessels. Amen. For him to minister through us. So in verse 12, we read, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Moses literally saying, if I'm to lead this people and you're saying you aren't going to be in our midst, who then will go with me? I can't do it on my own. Verse 13, what does God says? And now therefore, I have found favor in your sight. Please show me now your ways. Well, this is Moses, I'm sorry. That I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. So if it's true that you look favorably upon me, Lord, again, God must have told him this somewhere. It's not recorded, but here. Uh, Let me know your ways, that I may understand you, that I may know you more fully, thereby continuing to enjoy your grace. Not only that Moses would do what God has commanded him, but that by understanding God, that he would have the proper motive. He would have his delight in the Lord, that he would desire what the Lord desires, which would continue, right, to invite God's grace and God's favor. That's how it works. Moses' desire was to do God's will, God's way, if I could say it simply that way, which meant, I can't do this on my own. I need you, Lord, to be with me. Just like Moses, we can never, ever forget the words of Christ in John 15, 5. Again, Reference this morning from the pulpit. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We need the Lord to serve him, to worship him as he requires. Moses also reminds God that these are his people, right? God had referred to them as the people, as your people, as this people. Again, that's because he's angry with them. He's upset with their sin. Not because, uh, and because their focus was on Moses, as John brought up last week. But consider, too, that this nation is your people, is how Moses addresses God. Consider, too, that this nation is your people, Lord. Moses acknowledging before God that it was God who guided them, who protected them, who took care of them, who was with them when they came out of Egypt. He was with them. He made them his people. Basically, again, Moses' heart, we see, is in the right place as the mediator, as the intercessor. So now, God says what Moses has been yearning for. Verse 14, and he, God said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. So God promises he will be with Moses. That is singular, that you there. It's not plural. It's not the nation of Israel. It's Moses alone. I will go with you, Moses. 
Moses did not change the mind of God. Moses and the people now desired communion with God more than anything else. They were in a right place. But again, God says, I will be with you, Moses. But isn't that what God wants from you and I? To desire him more than anything or anyone else. Jeremiah 29, 13. The promise, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And Psalm 73, 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Moses knew confidently who he was in God's economy, if I could say it that way. And he approached God as such, as his elect. His identity was as intercessor, as God's elected son, but also purposed intercessor. We share Moses' identity identity as God's elect. Amen? We too must learn to walk and pray in that identity. He is our Father. The Father, but our Father. Psalm 139, beginning in verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. That is who you, you and I are in God. So Moses prays for his role, his purpose, that God has purposed him for as intercessor. And God says, I will be with you. Because that's what I've called you to do. Next, we see his, his, inter- his intercessory prayer in verses 15 to 17. Moses makes his request as the mediator. We read, And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? So again, look at how Moses responds to God. He's saying, not only with me, but me and your people. Otherwise, how will anyone know we are your people? Church, God doesn't deliver people out of something unless he delivers you unto something else. Amen? Unto something new. For for God to quit would mean that the deliverance would be incomplete. He took them out of Egypt. He made them his own. God delivered Israel from slavery, from being the property of the Pharaoh, to belonging to God, chosen by him as his people who would dwell with him. In the same way, God, through Jesus Christ, has offered you and I the deliverance from bondage to sin. Amen? Making each one who has turned from their sinful ways his very own new creation, his adopted child, in that we may have communion with him today and for 
eternity. God's covenant was to make Israel his own, to bring them with him to the promised land. We are awaiting to be with him in our promised land also. Amen? In verse 17, And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Again, not because of Israel, but because of Moses. But God's grace, God's mercy and blessing are restored to Israel. A picture of our Redeemer. Not because we are worthy or deserve, but when we, God's adopted, turn from God, we do not love, we do not have God's favor until we respond in repentance. We miss the blessing of God being with us and using us for His glory. We miss out on the fellowship with Him when we don't respond in repentance, when we don't ask God to search us and confess our sin to Him. The Lord shows Himself to be faithful to His promise. Israel, who was deserving of judgment, will be the recipient of God's mercy. Again, because he is a covenant-keeping God. Moses, again, did simply did, excuse me, Moses and Israel simply did what the psalmist wrote, delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. In chapter 34, when we, it's coming up next, we see that God renews his covenant with Israel. So he answers that prayer. And lastly, from verses 18 to 23, we see the personal prayer of Moses. He prays for personal intimacy or closeness with God. How often do we pray for that? How often do we pray? Am I asking for more of God? Am I asking to be closer to Him, to to be in His presence, to fellowship with Him. Moses said, please show me your glory. Recognizing that God, He is a long-suffering, merciful God. Moses' desire is to draw near to God, to be even closer, to be physically in the presence of God. Moses had already seen a form of God's glory several times, we've heard. Amen? In the burning bush... Uh, In Genesis 24, with the 70 elders, when they saw him through the glass floor, uh, and later in in Genesis 24, as uh, Moses remained on the mountain, as it it was covered with the glory cloud of God, and most recently in the tent of meeting. But Moses knew there was more. We should, do we have that excitement? Do I have that excitement? Yes, I can have fellowship with God, but there's more. There's more. I want more. It, mean, it seems that Moses literally wants to be, he wants to be face-to-face with God. And it, it just stopped me and, and made me think, how, have I ever stopped and thought about that? That one day I will see him. What will that be like? But again, we can have fellowship with him now. 
verses 19 to 23. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So God's goodness could not have been something visual because God hid it. But he said, I will show you my goodness. God was not willing to allow Moses to gaze upon... uh, Again, uh, Philip Ryken says it this way, uh, God was not willing to allow Moses to gaze upon his glory. In other words, he would not give the prophet a direct perception of his divine being. If Moses were to see a complete revelation of God and his eternal being, it would be so overwhelming that it would destroy him. Moses has been talking with God. He's witnessed the miracles of God. And God has made himself known to Moses in ways that were safe before. And God would do the same now in this passage. So, this response from God wasn't to convince Moses of anything. It was purely Moses' desire to have physical, intimate communion with God. But God basically says, for now, Moses, in the already but not yet, This is how we will have fellowship. God's grace preserved Israel as his people. God's grace preserved Moses as his intercessor. And God's grace preserves us for the hope that we have in eternity. But we can have that communion and fellowship with him now. Is that desire growing in us as we approach that day? The people's desire realigned from Moses, from the golden calf, back to God. Because of Christ, we can do the same when we slip up. And we will respond with with repentance. Let's pray. My Father, those of us who have put our trust and faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, are guaranteed eternity in the presence, in your presence, Lord God. But why would we wait until then? Father, you desire communion with your people today and each day that you grant us, Lord God. So may the eye of our hearts be pointed to you and nothing or no one else. Help us tear down those idols that we would remove them from our hearts. Forgive us who are looking elsewhere today, Lord God. We want to turn. May we turn from worthless idols to you, that you would be with your people as only you can, that you would get all praise, honor, and glory. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. always saying pray for me for this for that um and i and i'd say i can but the most important thing i want to pray for their salvation 
Um, because even if God, which God already has blessed each and every person just with common grace, even if God does bless those people, who are they going to turn and glorify, right? Um, ultimately, it's about their salvation. So as an intercessory prayer, as Moses did, he prayed for the people that they would turn to God. Um, it would have been good to sing Turn Your Eyes to Jesus, but again, as the deer, I, is a beautiful song as well, 548, because we should hunger and thirst for God always. So as the deer, 548, um, as we were discussing before, there's only three verses. We don't have to if you don't want to. Uh, no? I have a track. Yeah, let's just do it a cappella. Let's just make that happen. Yes, fingers up that you're going to play the track. Again, 548. Of my eye, 